The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. I would say this as it relates to Ukraine and what we're doing here is that the American people are, I mean, it's billions of dollars now. John, if we really want to end this war, you want to end this war, Joe Biden, you need to call Donald Trump. Donald Trump will call Vladimir Putin and end this war. We must stop this war and Donald Trump can do it. He never went into Ukraine under Donald Trump in his four years. I predict that's a phone call that will not happen. <laughs> well, Donald Trump will fix it when he's inaugurated as the 47th. There you go. There's a representative from Texas. That was after, by the way, that the Fox host pretty much ended the interview. And then he interjected there at the end to insert Donald Trump into the conversation. Let's let's not forget Fox News, of course, they're part of the dump Trump train after the midterm elections. Rupert Murdoch from on high. He sent the message on down to his media conglomerate and said, that's it. Trump is finished. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining our growing audience. We come to you live every weekday morning here in the Central Time Zone of the United States at 11 a.m. at our website. The live stream's available at thetrumpet.com forward slash live. And of course, you can make the adjustment as I've been doing these past few days. The uh, the time for the show on the east coast of the United States, that's at noon. Of course, over at Edstone, it's at 5 p.m. in Nunspate in the Netherlands, 6 p.m. And of course, uh, to our Jerusalem office and those surrounding it in Little Israel, that would be at 7 p.m. every weekday evening. So a lot to get to on today's show. Before I launch into it, I want to draw attention to our latest issue of the Trumpet magazine. You can see there the whole image. It says fake with an asterisk. And uh, our, our uh, publishing man- manager, uh, Joel Hilliker, he was telling me how that they went about producing this image. And basically it was some sort of service where you just basically describe what it is that you want in the the photo or in the image, and then it spits it back out to you. Really, and uh, it doesn't even take that long at all. So it's perfect, isn't it? For this fake world that we see, all these deep fakes that are popping up on social media now, so much fakery in the world of of politics. Uh, I just saw a clip of Katie Hobbs before I came up here. She was asked about her stance on the death penalty, and she said, well, I can't get into that. And then The reporter persisted, and then some handler in the background said, look, she said she can't answer that. She won't answer that. And she just kind of stood there smiling. She can't, she's supposed to be the governor of Arizona. She's a fake one at that. There's there's lots and lots of fake leaders today, in case you haven't noticed. But she can't even state her positions. As I was telling Sam, no wonder people love Donald Trump. Because at least he answers. He goes out before the pool of reporters every time he left the White House. You knew where he stood. You still know where he stands. And people have tried to dismiss him. Worse than that, they've tried to destroy him. And yet he won't go away. Teflon Don. He just keeps bouncing back 
All of those attacks just bounce right off of him. It's pretty amazing. Like I said, Fox News, they were leading the way. Hannity and company, don't go there anymore. There was no red wave. And guess who is to blame? It's Donald Trump. That was just three months ago. And now you've got Senator Lindsey Graham, of all people, saying things like this, again, on Fox News, clip two. I know the downside of Trump, but let me tell you about the upside of Trump. There are no Trump policies without Donald Trump. You know why NATO gave $431 billion in defense spending increases? Because they thought that Trump really meant it when he said he was going to pull out. You know why the capital, we moved the embassy of the United States to Jerusalem. Every president before Trump said, I will do it. But then all the smart people said it will create World War III. Trump said, I said I would do it. I would do it. He is responsible for securing the border through his personal will. When he put tariffs on Chinese products, it scared the crap out of Mexico. And they said, yes, we'll be glad to give you 28,000 troops. We'll be glad to keep people in Mexico because he thought Trump, they thought Trump would put tariffs on Mexican policies. There are no Trump policies without the man, Donald Trump. And to all these people who are very talented, I don't think you could do what he could, what he did. And I want him to have another shot. Unfinished business. He's like the rhino-in-chief, Lindsey Graham. But here again, he knows. He knows Donald Trump is wildly popular in South Carolina, his home state. So he can, uh, he can sort of test the ways that the wind is, uh, is blowing. Same with Kevin McCarthy. We've noted this as well. Lots and lots of people on the, the conservative right that didn't want him in there because of his tendency to kind of shift back and forth on positions. You know, like Katie Hobbs, she can't answer. From one day to the next, the positions just, they, they kind of alter. They've got to, you know, test the, they've got to test the waters first and see, uh, you see, see what the public opinion is like. But there's Lindsey Graham. I think he was on there with, with Sean Hannity. It'll be interesting to see if Sean Hannity now uh, resumes some of those, uh, those interviews with Donald Trump over the phone that he was made famous for in 2016 in the lead up to the 2016 election. They dismiss him. They try to destroy him. They say he's finished. He won't come back. And, of course, he keeps coming back. Now, again, you have to take what uh, Graham said there with a grain of salt as uh, this commentator from The Atlantic. I think he's on with MSNBC, and he's giving us the lowdown on what many Republicans actually think of Donald Trump, even if they come out with these, uh, these nice-sounding words of praise for the orange man. This is clip uh, three. One former Republican congressman described this strategy to me as actuarial arbitrage um, and literally said that he has spoken to many Republicans who will put on the red hat and campaign for Trump and go up on stage with him and then the next day say, I can't wait for this guy to die. That's a direct quote. And so I was taken aback by how often I heard this. I thought it was kind of a morbid, dark joke at first, but I heard it so often that it started to become clear that this was actually... Uh, what a lot of Republicans believe, and it just speaks to the desperation in the party right now. Yeah, what did he say? Actuarial arbitrage? (laughs) Arbitrage? Well, whatever, but what a a morbid sentiment. I mean, you can say, I guess you can say that about Trump, but no one else. They, They wish he would die. They wish he would die. 
Behind closed doors, they wish he would die. But then they've got to come out. They've got to show their support because they know you. They know the American people support the bad orange man. They know the support is still there. There's this MSNBC report. I'll play you a clip here in just a second. What I don't show you in this clip is the reporter that's just on the streets in South Carolina going from one uh, you know, resident to the next saying, well, what about DeSantis or what about uh, Nikki Haley or what about some of these other candidates? And uh, all the ones, at least on camera, said, well, I like those people fine, but we need Donald Trump to fix this mess. Listen to this report from MSNBC, clip four. There were already 10 I Democrats know. running for president on this date four years ago. And right now, when we're talking about pessimism at an all-time high, guess what? We got one presidential candidate, and his name is Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. There's nobody else running. And so that's where the question comes into play is, who is next? Is anybody going to get out there? Because look what Donald Trump did this weekend. He went to New Hampshire. He went to the New Hampshire GOP's annual meeting where he talked to the top activists around the state. He announced that the outgoing New Hampshire GOP chair is becoming his senior advisor in the state. Then he came here to the South Carolina State House, where inside the State House, he stood alongside three of the six GOP members of the U.S. House who endorsed him, as well as the sitting governor here, Henry McMaster, as well as the senior senator, Lindsey Graham, who endorsed him here. So Donald Trump is laying a foundation and really the putting on and the onus on these other potential Republican contenders to get into the race or else he's going to eat up some of this early support here. All these endorsements are already piling up. And of course, South Carolina is a key uh, early primary state for the Republican primaries. And as this reporter points out, this is MSNBC. You know, we're 21 months out, 21 months out from the next presidential election. And I know for people in the UK and Europe, they, they can't even understand how it could be that long of a process. But here in the States, of course, you're, you're making movements for a presidential run two years in advance. And as he points out there, there's only this, this, this time in the last presidential cycle, on this date, there were 10 Democrats that had already declared, I'm running for president. And as of today, on the Democrat or Republican side, you've got one individual who's declared his candidacy, and that's Donald Trump. And he's already raking in all of these endorsements. Over at Morning Joe, you have uh, Charles Sykes. He's on as a commentator. And, of course, the, the roundtable there, they're talking about how Trump has lost a step and the crowds aren't quite as, they're not quite as big and uh, there's not as much intensity and, and excitement. And yet Sykes acknowledges this, clip five. David's analysis is exactly right here. Um, it is still very, very early. And even though mm -hmm. um, he is, is diminished and he is sleepy and he is much, much slower, right now um, he is the default nominee for the Republican Party. It's more likely than not that he will win. Um, and, and you have to you have to, you know, keep reminding yourself, don't underestimate this guy. He's he's diminished and sleepy, but he's the default nominee. OK, OK. Nice, uh, nice commentary there coming from Morning Joe. F listen to what Biden himself said. I think this was from last week, clip 15. No president added more to the debt in four years than my president. I, I misspoke. 25% of our country's entire debt. He misspoke, but he didn't correct the big mistake there. No president, what did he say? No president has added more to the debt. He's speaking of Trump. No president has added more to the debt over four years than my president, Joe Biden, saying, saying Donald Trump is his president. 
another statement that uh, he wish he could take back or could have corrected on the fly, but didn't. Speaking of Biden, this was from, I don't know where this was from yesterday, but it's from yesterday. He's out touting the, the, the Biden economy as if it's, uh, you know, just really humming along. Clip six. I ran for president to build an economy from the bottom up and the middle out to bring back good paying jobs you can raise a family on whether or not you went to college, to give working families a little more breathing room to invest in ourselves again, to invest in America again. That's what we've done. So he's built it up from the bottom up uh, to the sideways out or whatever he said there. The economy is just great. The way he and his handlers talk about it, it's never been better. Listen to Chuck Todd. This was from his Sunday show just a couple of days ago, clip seven. Asked to describe where America is headed in the next year, More than two-thirds use negative words and phrases, downhill, wrong track, disaster, hard times, and uncertain. 71% of America, 71% see this nation as being on the wrong track economically. They're preparing. They're rolling up their sleeves and preparing for some dire straits, economically speaking. This is from the Financial Times, speaking of the, the, the debt crisis, the looming debt crisis in Congress. There's no good moment for the U.S. government to hit its ceiling for debt issuance and spark speculation about a potential looming default in Congress, if Congress, rather, refuses to raise it. Now, however, is particularly a particularly inopportune timing for this fight. It says here, but it was always going to be difficult and dangerous. And if Congress spends the coming months convulsed by threats of default, Since the Treasury's ability to fund itself apparently runs out in June, the risks of a market shock will soar. So the Republicans, as you know, they now have a majority in the House. They're drawing a line in the sand. They've got to stop the bleeding, so to speak. The the bleeding financially of this wild spending, just printing money by the trillions. But the point of the Financial Times is that, you know, the American economy is hanging by a thread Is this the time to pick that fight over at uh, Yahoo Life? This is regarding so many of the food shortages that you're reading about and that you're actually seeing at the supermarket. It says here, this is from the end of December, if you were hoping that the new year would mark a renewed era of abundance for the U.S. food system, we have some bad news. The various food shortages that define the past 12 months, butter, baby formula, Eggs are now expected to continue, but experts are predicting that they could get even worse in 2023. It says here, CNBC reports an economic recession is likely to hit in the early months of the new year as inflation, environmental catastrophes, and an ongoing fertilizer shortage continue to wreak havoc. And then it quotes this uh, dairy farmer, I believe 2023 is going to be rough, worse than this year. Again, this is from the end of last year. We're going to have a, a supply chain shortage. We're going to have an increase in our food prices at the grocery store. And, of course, you're already seeing it. Eggs in some places, it's up 100. In some places, 200%. And I told you a couple of weeks ago about the rise in smuggling. Not just fentanyl across the southern border, but eggs, of all things. Eggs coming in from Mexico. This is from uh, North Jersey regarding tomato products. Drought conditions in in California, the leading tomato-producing state in the U.S., 
are behind the shortage of all tomato products. The drought has been occurring since 2000, with the longest drought period in California lasting 376 weeks, beginning on December 27, 2011. It says here, fewer tomato plants are grown and some are yielding no crops. Lettuce. How about lettuce? It says a lettuce shortage and the increase in cost can be traced to Central California, which experienced unreasonably high temperatures and crop disease and caused severe losses in iceberg and romaine varieties. This is all happening in California. I mean, this is a state that's being cursed. And then you look at what's happening in, uh, in the cities of California. The homelessness, people shooting up outside, shooting up drugs outside of Starbucks, and then relieving themselves on the streets. It's just all over the place. What did Gavin Newsom say yesterday? I think this is clip 12. It's later in my notes. But play, play what the good governor of, uh, of, Gavin, of, of California rather said just yesterday. Clean and sober is one of the biggest mistakes this country's ever made. I know it's a hold-your-hand idealistic point of view that somehow magically, I mean, God bless some of you. I, if you're like me, I've been known to have a glass of wine at night watching some of the nightly news. Uh, we all need to self-medicate periodically. What a weird and crazy statement to make to, to, to basically criticize sobriety in a state that's just rife with drug overdose after drug overdose. They've got drug addicted people walking the streets of San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, all of them. And he's there mocking the clean and sober, those that would try to sober up. That, that's what Pat, he's, he's a, a potential presidential candidate. That's right. There's a lot of people. This is why they want to shove Biden aside so that people like him can get in there and go for go for uh, the presidency. And, and look at what's happening to his state. States being just pounded with curses. This this from the same article regarding eggs. Well, let me just finish the, the bit on uh, lettuce. It says the restaurant industry also suffers from the difficulty of getting lettuce. A wholesale box of romaine that should cost $30 is now going for $100. That's th a three times the increase. Here's, here's eggs. It says in December of 2021, a dozen eggs cost an average of $1.79, and last month the cost was averaging $4.25, a 137% increase. A dozen eggs average about $7.37 in California, Governor Newsom State, and $5.29 in Montana, right across the country, somewhere between $4 and $7.00. That's all for a carton of eggs? That's right. No wonder the smugglers are bringing them along with the fentanyl. Tucker Carlson, by the way, he had a, a pretty a fascinating uh, monologue last night with respect to some of these shortages and all of these, these uh, food processing plants that are going up in flames or, or exploding or whatever's happening. Some strange events for sure. And of course, no one in the mainstream media will touch this story. And so, of course, Tucker leads the way once again. This is clip eight. Last spring in March at a press conference in Brussels, Joe Biden explained that the sanctions he was imposing against Russia, while morally necessary, were also going to cause food shortages around the world, including here in the United States. It's going to be real, he said. Then Biden continued recounting a conversation he would had with European allies. He told us all about it. 
When he met with the group, Biden said, they spoke about, quote, how we could increase and disseminate more rapidly food shortages. That's what Joe Biden said verbatim. It's on tape. So here you have the president of the United States pledging to increase food shortages at a press conference. Strange disasters began to beset food processors all over the United States. In April, the next month, the headquarters of one of this country's largest organic food distributors was destroyed in a fire, cause unknown. The next month, in a single week actually, two separate private plane crashes took out two separate food processing centers. One plane hit a General Mills plant in Georgia, the other plane hit a food plant in Idaho. On Saturday, an enormous commercial egg farm in central Connecticut burned to the ground for no obvious reason. Huge fire. At least 20 fire departments responded, fought the blaze for over eight hours. More than 100,000 chickens died. Now, that's a sad story. But what's interesting is that most media companies did not consider it a story at all. Weird, considering egg prices have become an actual problem for most Americans. Egg prices are up more than 100% in many places. And yet, at that exact moment, when eggs are a concern, 100,000 chickens die in a freak fire, and the New York Times, which is right next door in a neighboring state, does not even cover the fire? What, what's going on here? Why, why wouldn't they look into this? Why wouldn't they investigate this? And I guess he's implying that maybe the government is behind this. And, and some would say, oh, that's preposterous. Here's another conspiracy theory promoted by Tucker. But, but look, look at what they, they did in Wuhan. Look at what they've done, the government agencies that supposedly are there to provide oversight for Pfizer and other companies like that. And look at what Pfizer's been doing. They're, they're bragging, basically. I mean, to an undercover reporter, but bragging nonetheless about gain-of-function research and trying to get ahead of the next strain with a new vaccine. If you think the... Many of these same people who've been manipulating viruses and such wouldn't manipulate food production. Then your head's probably buried in the sand somewhere. Something fishy is going on. But like he said, the New York Times just down the road, they're not interested in covering these mysterious explosions or fires at food processing plants or, or 100,000 chickens dying. They just go on and on about well, it's because of the bird flu, or it's because of this, or it's because of that. They just make it up instead of actually investigating it. The United States, I mean, the affliction is bitter. It's bitter. This was uh, from Fox News yesterday as well with respect to migrants that have been shipped into New York City, a sanctuary city, and they put them up in nice hotels. <laughs> and then when they're ready to move the migrants out, notice what happens. Clip nine. Migrants housed in a New York City hotel are now refusing to leave as the city tries to move them into a newly opened shelter. A few dozen migrants living on the streets say they will not move. All of them are single men who were told this weekend they had to leave their rooms at a Westside hotel in order to make room for migrants with families, including women and children. The plan was for all the single men to be relocated to a cruise line terminal in Brooklyn that has been set up as a temporary shelter. Many of the migrants say the terminal is not acceptable and want better quality housing. They are now not being allowed back into the hotel. The migrants say the terminal's not acceptable, and they want better housing. And they're single men. They're single men who won't move out to make space for the families. This is New York City. Our cities are just falling apart, infested with crime and pollution. 
violence of every kind. Listen to this report from also from New York City. This is clip 13. To this, hundreds of bodegas are now adding chains and locks to their shelves. Well, this comes after store owners say they've been hit hard by a rise in theft. For more than a year, these business owners say they've stood by as products get swiped from their shelves. We're at a breaking point. So they've locked and chained items like washing detergent, making these convenience stores a little less convenient. They're locking up washing detergent. There, there, there was one guy in this report, you didn't see it, but he, his ice cream uh, machine, haagen full of haagen they were stealing it so much that he finally just let the product run out and it's just empty now. It's empty in his store. He can't afford to restock it because people just walk in and then they walk out with these, these goods and they don't pay and they get away with it. This is, this is law enforcement in the United States in 2023. And then all these bleeding heart liberals who are saying, look, just go soft on crime. Don't send them to prison. Give them a little handout here and there. And then when they push up and build some affordable housing next to your mansion, Steph Curry, then you say, no, 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 no. I don't want them close to my mansion. <laughs> build that somewhere else. Build it next to those bodega owners or their apartments. Let them live there. And here are these, these rich, bleeding-heart liberals living in these neighborhoods, surrounded by fences, by the way, surrounded by boundaries, border security, if you can believe it. And they get on their soapbox and preach and tell us the way that we should be living. Hypocrites. So many of them are just hypocrites. There was a story this week, too, about Joe Biden and the documents pressing the Biden people, Congress is, to reveal the content of these documents that are spread all over five locations, including Hunter Biden's garage, or at least the garage or the home that he was occupying. Andy McCarthy writes here, Avril Hines, the unelected Biden-appointed director of national intelligence, contemptuously told the Senate Intelligence Committee to pound sand earlier this week when it was asked or when it asked to inspect the classified documents discovered in Biden's private office. I mean, as soon as they get whatever's at Mar-a-Lago, there's immediately there are leaks. That This is what was there. And of course, the Washington Post reports later that there really wasn't much in the way of sensitive information. It was more driven by uh, Trump's ego. But this, I mean, a cloud of secrecy covers the documents. Who knows how many there are? And they're spread over all these locations. And the Biden people say, no, we're not going to give you or tell you what the documents have in them. McCarthy says here, that being the case, DNI Haynes is not quite audacious enough to tell lawmakers they can't be trusted. What she's saying, however, is even worse. Her claim is that there is no higher priority in our government than the completion of investigations currently being conducted. So they hide behind, hey, there's an ongoing investigation here. Haven't you heard? So we've got to keep these we've got to keep these documents top secret. They as you now know from the Mueller investigation on and this is of course all covered in America under attack. The Mueller investigation how that it was there, it was certainly there to persecute Donald Trump. But it was also there to cover the tracks of the deep state. 
this is in America under attack. And you see them using the same strategy today. Oh, oh, hurry up, hurry up with a special investigation. And that way we can hide behind it. Hey, this is already being investigated and we can't reveal methods and sources. And you know how the drill works. This is from Issues and Insights. It says, leaving Washington with classified documents must be a tradition for outgoing presidents and vice presidents. Talks about how Biden's gotten you know, caught up into this, uh, Mike Pence, Donald Trump. It says here, but only one has a crooked son who could have easily accessed those documents and used them to enrich himself and his corrupt family. We know they enrich themselves. They line their pockets with tens of millions, including the big guy, Joe Biden. We know that happened. So what's in the documents? Let's see. And the Joe Obama people say, yeah, we can't, uh, we can't hand those over. Speaking of Barack Obama, what about the documents he ran off with after his presidency ended in 2017? They asked Obama's people recently, well, hey, have you conducted a search? And what about uh, any documents you might have made off with? And of course, their response yet again is, never mind, you go, go concern yourself with something else. They're not going to pursue the dear leader. <laughs> not at all. He's, uh, he's basically above the law. The last bit that I want to get into here with respect to heart attacks, there was a, a story yesterday coming out of New Jersey. It says here, a Roselle Catholic basketball player who is one of the top-ranked high school juniors in the country collapsed on the court Sunday afternoon during a game in Long Island. Just happened over the weekend. And you can see some of the websites that, that carry these stories. They're not very <laughs> prominent or known on the internet. Just local outfits, Sam was saying yesterday, as we try to collect footage or collect these stories, just how difficult it is to find a, a more credible source than some of these you know, smaller local outfits. People just aren't covering it. I mean, the cover-up, it just, like Tucker said the other day, and I pointed it out too, and we played you that clip yesterday from the MSNBC woman. Here she's, she's attributing her myocarditis, her heart failure, basically, to a common cold. And won't even bring up the fact that the vaccine could be a cause, a contributing cause. It's as if that whole segment yesterday by that woman as she explained the, the trauma, the, the turmoil that she's been going through with her physical health trials, it's as if the whole segment's brought to you by Pfizer. You don't talk about the vaccine. Here's a, what, 17-year-old boy, a top college recruit in the nation in his junior year at high school. It says the crowd went silent after six-foot-eight junior forward Tariq Watson fell to the floor in the second quarter of the game against Long Island, Long Island Lutheran in Brooksville, New York. That's uh, regarding this young man. And then the buried lead, really, it's further down in the article. It says several New Jersey high school athletes have collapsed during games during the past several months. Can I just read this to you again and let it sink in? This is not the New York Times. This is not Fox News. This is not MSNBC. This is New Jersey 101.5. I guess it's a radio station with their website. This is where you have to go to find out this information. Several New Jersey, just in little New Jersey, 
Several New Jersey high school athletes have collapsed during games during the past several months. Happens all the time, right? Yeah, just get used to it. Young people, 15, 16, 7, just collapsing during a, ba a, ba a basketball game. That's all. It says here, a 15-year-old basketball player from the St. James School of uh, Basking Ridge went into cardiac arrest and collapsed during a game at Hillsborough High School on January 6. The Hillsborough police officers administered CPR and revived him after one shock and a defibrillator, hard word for me to say, sorry. <laughs> a ninth grade student athlete collapsed during practice at Warren Hills Regional High School in September. He was flown and so on. And so it just goes on uh, and on. 15 years old, January 6th. Look at what's happening just this month. I'll list them off here in just a second. But let me give you this. This is another news report from KHON. I don't know where that is, uh, what city it's reporting from. But it says here, a new study has been published that links the increase in heart attacks amongst adults between the ages of 25 and 44 to COVID-19. The study was conducted by the Smith Heart Institute um, Medical Center and published in the Journal of Medical Virology. It says researchers discovered that overall heart attacks increased for all age groups since the onset of the pandemic by 14%. It says by the second year of the pandemic, that would be 2022, Heart attacks for the 45 to 64 age group increased by 19.6%. And for the 65 and older group, had increased by 13.7%. It says, however, it was the youngest age group that had the highest increase of nearly 30%. 30% last year. The youngest among us collapsing because of heart conditions, heart failure, myocarditis, pericarditis. Jesse Lemonier, former NFL. This is all from January. Here's your, today's January 31st. Here's your January update on the, the sudden collapses of, in this case, mostly athletes. There's a few others on my list here. I'll see if I have time to get to them. He's a, a linebacker or a former linebacker for the Detroit Lions. Died on January 26. Simon Dunn, Australian uh, bobsled star, 35 years old, died on January 21st, cause of death unknown. Ahmad Galloway died on January 9th, cause of death still being investigated, 42 years old. He was a teacher at Compton Drew Middle School, um, and he was a former Alabama Crimson Tide running back. How about uh, Uke Nawarni? That's a former Jacksonville Jaguars lineman. He was 38 years old, died of an enlarged heart with acute heart failure in his 30s. Odell Ventimiglia, January 12th. She was the daughter of a soprano star, so that's not an athlete, but she was just 25 years old. Estrella Martin, 14-year-old Spanish soccer player, that was January 25th, died suddenly. 14 years old. Happens all the time. Are we, should we just accept this and move on and not cover it? Brought to you by Pfizer. Chris Baker, 35-year-old former NFL defensive tackle, suffered from a stroke on January 20th. Didn't die, but a sudden stroke. 
Ben Adir Mahini, Algerian soccer player, collapsed and died suddenly during a match at the African Nations Championship on January 24th, just last week. Happens all the time, right? And then this story that was posted yesterday, former University of Arizona swimming standout Ty Wells, 23 years of age, died suddenly, don't know the cause of death just yet. This is just for the month of January. How can people ignore this? How can people pretend this isn't happening? That's exactly what they're doing. They're out there still. Pfizer's still out there trying to cover for the Project Veritas expose from last week. All the, the talking heads, you know, they're still talking about the booster. I played you that clip from Joe Scarborough a few days ago or a week or two ago. He's on to his fourth booster, or he missed it, and then he had the COVID. And then he told you, get the booster, because uh, the COVID I got would have been a lot worse. Or, or rather, it would have been a lot, a, a lot better to go through had I gotten that fourth booster. The insanity continues. Listen to Bill Gates from, uh, I think this was yesterday, an, a, an interview down in Australia, or with an Australian journalist, with respect to the origins of COVID-19, clip 12 just referenced intentional pandemics. Do you um, harbor any doubts about the origins of COVID-19? No, the evidence is, is very clear that it's naturally caused. Um, you know, it's a, a bad virus and we're going to have natural epidemics. And sadly, we may have some unnatural epidemics in the future. The evidence is clear that it's naturally caused. He says this three years on after we've now had all of these evidence or all this evidence pouring in showing that it came out from that lab in Wuhan. There's, I mean, he's pro-vaccine. He's raking it in still because of his pro-vaccine status and his investments in the big pharma world. He was asked this uncomfortable question as well in that same interview. Listen to this one, clip uh, 11. Now, one of the issues that's dogged you is, is that of your relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Do you regret the relationship that you maintained with him against Melinda's advice and wishes? Oh, I've said that I'm, I mean, this is, you're going way back in mm -hmm. time. But yeah, I, I, New audience. I will say for the, you know, over 100th time, yeah, I shouldn't have had uh, dinners with him. Um, Epstein had a way of sexually compromising people. Is that what Melinda was warning you about? No. I mean, it, it's, no, I, I had dinner with him, uh, and that's all. Wow, good for, good for this woman. It, he had a way of sexually compromising young people, young, young women. Is that what your ex-wife was warning you about? This is what her, his rather, ex-wife said, I think, less than a year ago. Listen to this uh, exchange, clip 14. You know, it was also widely reported that Bill had a, a friendship or a business or some kind of contact with Jeffrey Epstein and that you were not, uh, that that was very upsetting to you. Did that play a role in the, in the divorce at all in this process? Yeah, as I said, it's not one thing, it was many things. But I did not like uh, that he'd had meetings with Jeffrey Epstein, no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you made that clear to him? I made that clear to him. I also met Jeffrey Epstein exactly one time. Did you? Yes, because I wanted to see who this man was. And um, I regretted it from the second I stepped in the door. He was abhorrent. He was 
evil personified. I had nightmares about it afterwards. So, you know, my heart breaks for these young women because that's how I felt. And here I'm an older woman. My God, I feel terrible for those young women. It's awful. It's pretty amazing. You know, these are the people, these are the, 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 this is the ruling class, really. The elites, her husband and others like him. And, and of course, you're not supposed to jump to any conclusions, even though Jeffrey Epstein's death is shrouded in all of this mystery. Bill Barr wouldn't investigate it, as Tucker reported last week. Don't jump to conclusions, though, because just, just know this from the ruling class. Donald Trump is evil. He's, he's evil now and forever will be. That's all that you need to know. And look at the people that are trying to destroy him, Donald Trump, and look at what they're doing and look at what they're getting caught up in. It's like I've said so many times on this show, Ezekiel 9, I think it is, 8 or 9, where the prophet's just looking at all this filth, all of, all of these abominable acts, and then God says to him, look, come, come look through this hole in the wall and I'll show you even more abominations. That's what we're seeing in our nation. The nation is being cursed for obvious reasons. The, the affliction is bitter and only God, only God can save America. I'll refer you to 2 Kings 14. The saving is only temporary. Make sure you get this book and that you study those prophecies in 2 Kings 14, Amos 7, and others, as are discussed in this book. The 800 number, 1-866-930-3024. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. When we return, we'll finish today's show with our Bible study segment. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something, is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. On yesterday's show, I referred you to John 5 and what Jesus said there about uh, his own power. He said, I can do nothing 
without the power of God in me. That's quite a statement coming from Jesus Christ. It shows you how close he was to his Father in heaven. It shows you how much of a priority he put on his, his prayers, his study of God's word, God's truth, his meditation on the plan and purpose of God. The fasting, as you can see there in Matthew 4, as he prepared for his titanic confrontation with the devil. He did that to draw close to God, to draw near to God, so that the devil would flee from him, as James 4 says. Notice this passage in Paul's epistle, 2 Timothy, this is chapter 3. It says in verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous or dangerous times shall come. Dangerous times. That's, that's what's prophesied for these last days. Jesus said, except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved alive. God has to intervene and cut it short. It says that in, in Romans 9 as well. And God can do this. Romans, or rather, Revelation 10 and verse 6 talks of a time of no more delay. So there are instances where God intervenes to delay or to speed up. But obviously, we're, we're now in the last days of this age of man, we are rapidly approaching the great tribulation prophesied in your Bible, spoken of in the Gospels by Jesus Christ. Are you prepared for what's coming? We're going to have to brace ourselves for some earth-shaking events. We're already seeing so many of them, as you hear about every day on the, the first segment of this show. As we go through the news, as we examine and watch world events, as the, and see as they relate to Bible prophecy, earth-shaking events, perilous times, said Paul, in the last days, verse 2 says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Verse 4 says, traitors, you see any treasonous, traitorous activity in our world today, traitors, heady, high-minded, just filled with vanity, filled arrogance, just overflowing with arrogance and haughtiness, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. But notice verse 5 here. It says, having a form of godliness. I mean, it's amazing how the devil can just put a label on something and say, hey, this is righteous. Oh, this is tolerant. Well, this is progressive. Well, this is new. So it must be good. The devil is a master at calling unrighteousness or sinful, lawless behavior, at calling it good. Read Isaiah 5. It happens all the time with the devil. Having a form of godliness, it looks good on the surface, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So it may have this outward formality, this appearance of righteousness, but you scratch just a little bit beneath the surface, and what do you see? You see filth and abomination. You see evil. You see impurity. And notice these people, they deny the power of God. They deny the authority of God by their actions. God and, and the Holy Bible no longer bear any direct authority over their lives. They dismiss the Word of God. They mock it. They ridicule it. There, there's a built-in hostility toward God's Word. Romans 8 and verse 7. 
the miraculous events of scripture, they just explain it away. It's just old wives' tales, fables. Not, didn't really happen. Look, let's deal in reality, they say. They love the reality of this present evil world, and they dismiss the miraculous acts of God. In Matthew 22, Jesus told the Sadducees that they didn't understand the scriptures and that they didn't know the power of God. See, they, dis they dismiss or reject God's power, God's miraculous intervention. This is, this is why so many, even in the world of traditional Christianity, cannot believe that God is soon going to intervene in the affairs of this, of this world and send his son back to this earth to stop mankind from destroying himself entirely. Look, you're going to have to go through Matthew 24. Look at verses 21 and 22 specifically. And then try to wrap your mind around that. And then think about your own spiritual standing with respect to God. Where do you stand? What, what are you prepared to do to get right with God? How committed are you to coming out of this world and, and, and embracing the family vision that God is there to give to you? Read the, read the last few verses of 2 Corinthians 6. It's a wonderful assurance that if we come out of this world, God will receive us as his children. He'll be a father to you. But coming back to this point about the power of God, Christ telling the Sadducees, look, you don't understand the scriptures and you've denied the power of God, just like Paul said in 2 Timothy 3. There's power. There is power to come from God. But most don't yield to it. They don't seek after it. They don't go to this source of power to receive strength and inspiration and power from God. Luke 18 and verse 27 says, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. If God is with you, all things are possible. That's what the scriptures bear out. Luke 1 and verse 37, it says, For with God all things or rather, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. Switch over to Jeremiah, the Old Testament, Jeremiah 32, and, and, and read here about what it says regarding God's awesome power and, and strength. Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, it says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heaven and the earth by the great power and stretched by your great power and stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and recompense the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. You can do anything, God. There's nothing that's too difficult for you to do. Verse 26 says, Then came the word of the Eternal unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Jeremiah says this basically in the previous verses, and then God says in verse 27, uh, yeah, Jeremiah, you're right. You're right about that. There is nothing that's too hard for me. God is the creator and the maker of all things. He's the great sustainer. He's our educator. He's our ruler. But most, most people won't be ruled by God. They're, they're too hard-headed and stubborn and obstinate too rebellious, too sinful, too lawless. They won't turn to God in repentance. 
Notice what Job acknowledged at the end of his book. After he did turn to God in repentance, he repented of his self-righteousness. And it says in Job 42 and verse 2, I know, this is Job speaking, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withholden from you. Job says to God, hey, I understand now. I know you can do everything. I know that no thought can be withholden from you. I know that you can read my thoughts even. You know what my heart, heart is like. I can see now that you saw all of that self-righteousness. Now I see it. And now I need your help and power and strength. And God was there to give it. He blessed Job more at the end than he did at the beginning because of his repentance, because of his change. This is from Herbert Armstrong. Back in 1983, he wrote in the Good News, he said, The Holy Spirit is something you have not had, something you must receive from God, something infinitely greater and more powerful than any power within you, something from the great God who created you, who created the entire vast universe that all, and all that exists, it says. It is the essence, the very life, the nature of God, but it's also something from God which he gives you from himself, which is actually a part of himself, and that imparts power. Is that power working in your life and mind? Because it can be. We just have to turn to God in repentance and faith and be baptized eventually and, and receive the Spirit of God through the laying on of hands from God's ministry. What a wonderful transformation that is in the end, for God to take a lump of clay, <laughs> to take a, a bit of substance from the dunghill, as it says in 1 Samuel 2, and to actually convert it into a God being. Read through, read through Romans 8, as we studied last week in the epistles class, and see how that the Spirit of God is what gives life to a human being. There's that down payment of eternal life. It starts in the smallest of ways, a little mustard seed beginning in the mind of a converted individual. But if there's growth, if there's continuous growth over the course of that physical life, then it results in a spectacular spiritual birth into the family of God. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. Don't forget the 800 number so that you can subscribe to The Trumpet. We just got a new issue this week. And also America Under Attack, 1-866-930-3024. Thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.